WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. All right, good evening. Welcome to Spooky South Ghost. Tim Weisberg here, along with the science advisor Matt Moniz here at the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast. And back in the Spooky Studio, we have Silent Assassin Matt Costa. Are you there, Matt? I am here. And and uh, is there any time left to do a show? Uh, we have a little time. A little. We got a couple minutes before the news. Yeah. About forty-five of them. So, uh, how's things over there? Are you missing us? Are you sad because we're not there? I am. Because we're actually here hanging out at Lizzie Boyd's with Jeff Belanger, author of the new book Weird Massachusetts. He's the author of many books, but this is his latest, Weird Massachusetts, and it's part of the Weird U.S. Uh, series put out by Mark Skirman and Mark Moran, uh, and two guys who you know, if you remember watching their show on the History Channel a few years ago. Uh, Weird U.S. It was a, a great show that focused on a lot of strange and unusual sites and stories from around this great country. And now Jeff has compiled all of those stories about Massachusetts into one voluminous book. How are you doing tonight, Jeff? Fine. And and uh, anybody who is a fan of Spooky South Coast is well acquainted with your work on ghostvillage.com. And uh, so now you're venturing away from the ghosts and into the weird. Yeah, you know, Tim, uh, every once in a while a book comes along that uh, actually affects society, changes the way we think about things, uh, really changes the world. And my sincere hope is that while we're waiting for that book, that we could read mine. See, it's funny because when I was reading it, I was thinking Catcher in the Rye the whole time. That's so funny because I've never read that. <laughs> Me either, actually. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Which is uh, what makes it even creepier that I was thinking that. But, I mean, really, I mean, did you come up with the idea of, of putting these all together or did Mark and Mark contact you? Because I know there was a weird New England book before. Right, Which is yeah. where you stole most of the stuff from. That's right, yeah, uh, by Joe Citro. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Uh, no, actually, I, I contributed to the first weird U.S. book uh, a couple of years ago. And then there was a book called Weird Hauntings, which I also contributed to, and I've known the Marks for a while. And, yeah, you're right. Uh, I think it was last year that Weird New England came out, and uh, they they determined that Massachusetts deserved its own book, and they contacted me and said, hey, do you want to get weird in Massachusetts? And I was all about it. Uh, you're like, I've already been weird here for a long time. I've been years. weird here for a long time. Are you kidding? And so what was cool about it is, because you're right, I've been writing about ghosts for so long and, and the paranormal that uh, I got to branch out into other avenues of it and you know i got to cover ufos bigfoot cryptozoology but also like you know history which i'm a huge history buff and general oddities which uh is completely up my alley because i mean you know like you're you guys, generally odd i'm kind of odd yeah right and so well, like you guys though you know you, i i try to avoid the main tourist destinations you know mm -hmm. what i mean like you want to see stuff off the beaten path and and those are the things that make a place memorable and unique uh, it's not it's not the the great museums. I mean, those are fine institutions, but it's the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. That I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> that you never forget, you know. And in Massachusetts, we've got some amazing things here. We've got uh, we, we've got so much history. And what I've been telling people is, you know, Massachusetts was a perfectly normal place right up until about ten thousand years ago when people arrived, and then it started getting strange. And it's pretty much been downhill since. And getting worse every moment. And now that you've uh, put them all into one book and made people aware of it, I can only imagine it'll get even worse. Well, you know, you, you start looking for the odd everywhere you go. Just like, I mean, I know guys like us, right? We, we, we look for the haunts. 
we look for the, the paranormal wherever we go. You know, your, your ears perk up when you hear, like, ghost sighting or, you know, UFO or something like that because we're just tuned into it. But, um, you know, it's, it's not that far off from, from the odd and unusual. And one of the things I noticed, again, being predominantly a ghost guy before this, there was a trip I took last December up to October Mountain in Lee, Massachusetts, which is Western Mass., and it's it's a great mountain. It was uh, December, and I went up there. I, I organized the trip. There was four of us. There was a Bigfoot guy, a UFO guy, a ghost guy, and myself. And we all got there, and we're, we're hiking up the mountain. And this is the there's been all the sightings have been there. There've been multiple Bigfoot sightings, multiple UFO sightings, and there's an abandoned cemetery near the top that's uh, supposed to be you know ghostly activity in the region. And you know we're walking up there, and the UFO guys just like ghosts, really, you know. Bigfoot? Wouldn't we find a dead one? I just think these guys have advanced technology, and and the UFO and the uh, Bigfoot guys looking at us like, uh, guys, really? You know, UFOs crossing hundreds of thousands of light years and ghosts? I just think Bigfoot's a North American ape that we haven't categorized yet. And the ghost guy is going, well, we'd find a dead one. And come on, space aliens? You can't travel that far. But of course we survive after we die. And then we realize every one of us is absolutely insane. And, but at least you're all on the same wavelength, even if you're not agreeing with each other's, you know, That's field right. of expertise. And by the end, we, were, we, we had such a great time. We were laughing. You know, we realized we're, we're nuts, absolutely. But also there's so much overlap. And you realize how much perception plays a role in this kind of thing. You know, you and I were talking about this a few weeks ago where you take a phenomenon like old hag syndrome, which us, us ghost fans would say, well, you know, so the scientific community would say, well, that's simply temporary sleep paralysis combined with a hypnagogic hallucination, uh, which means, um, for those who may not have know, that, know this phenomena, it's you go to sleep at night, you lay down, and you wake up, and you can't move. You're absolutely paralyzed. And some people will describe like a dark shape coming toward them, smothering them. They can't breathe. They're panicked. And all of a sudden, the event's over, and everything's back to normal. Um, you know, some... When, when you sleep, naturally, every 90 minutes, you go into a, a deep sleep, an REM cycle, where you're naturally paralyzed. That's a normal thing. It happens to all of us in, in normal sleep Or else you'd beat the crap out of yourself while you're sleeping. Right. You'd go crazy. You'd wake up on the floor, you know, beating yourself up. Something like that. Right. <laughs> depends, the, depends on the kind of dream you're having. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean. Thank you. <laughs> but anyway, so, but, so, so, but then someone else would say, well, that's a spectral attack. You, you've got some kind of spirit that's coming after you, or a demon or a monster. But then the UFO people say, no, that's missing time. That was an abduction. And, uh, you know, other people say it's a dream, a leftover dream that, that you know, didn't quite get there. And, and you realize that, you know, wow, you know, perception is, is everything when it comes to anything paranormal. Orbs, which I know is a, a source of great debate in the paranormal community, we have to remember the UFO people had them long before the ghost people. Back in the 80s, they, that was alien energy, you know. And then mm -hmm. somewhere along the line, the ghost people stole them. And uh, I've got a friend of mine who wrote a book called Waiting for Mary, which is about Marian sightings all across the country. This guy's not a paranormal guy at all. He's just a, a, a great writer and researcher. And uh, he was telling me, he's like, yeah, people show me these pictures of these balls of light. And they say, well, that's St. Anthony, and that's yeah. the Virgin Mary. And, that's, and I'm like, wow, they're whatever you want them to be, these wonderful orbs. And, uh, and, and perception, of course, is everything when, when you're discussing any of these weird topics, you know. And and a lot of you know what's weird to to somebody isn't necessarily weird to somebody else. I mean, no, it's perfectly normal to us. For for example, you know, there's the the and it's mentioned in the book here the Matapoiset Barbie Garden. Somebody who just decides to yeah. put a bunch of Barbie dolls out in their garden, right. they think that's perfectly normal. And it's funny because it's it's how we express ourselves. And speaking of expression with lawn decorations, uh, I brought this, and I'm going to hold it right up to the microphone so, so everybody can, everybody can see, can see it. it. <laughs> 
It doesn't work that way. No, no, it doesn't. Oh, sorry. Okay. It's, if we had all the cool web cameras and everything, right, we could okay. see. But you know, uh, but uh, we we are actually looking at a a pink flamingo. A pink lawn flamingo, plastic. Lawn flamingo. That's the good stuff. That's right. And uh, you can see by the autograph here, Don Featherstone, it's the real thing. In 1956, a, a company called Union Products uh, took shape in, in uh, Lemonster, Massachusetts, and they hired Don Featherstone right out of art school and said, hey, you know, mold us a, a plastic pink flamingo. And, of course, this thing has just become, you know, just great Americana, great kitsch, went around the world, but started right here in Lemonster. And I got to talk to Don Featherstone. He still lives in Massachusetts with his wife of more than 30 years. And he's such a character. Uh, uh, he had such a great quote. He said, yeah, through the plastic pink lawn flamingo, we brought poor taste to poor people. <laughs> <laughs> no, doesn't he actually have a giant one out in his yard? Well, yeah. Um, uh, this was not their best-selling product. I was blown away. Um, but it's the one that everybody remembers because it's just, you know, perfect kitsch. And, but what's, what's unique about Don Featherstone and his wife is that They've been married for something like 34 years, and for the last 32 of those years, they dress the same every day of the week. <laughs> they wear the same type of outfit. That's, that's like, kind of weird into itself. At, he was wonderful. Uh, both of them were it, just great people. I'll, I'll share with you a, a quick story about pink flamingos that is actually paranormal as well. Um, <laughs> my, <laughs> my grandparents actually had one out in their garden, uh, you know, one of the original. That's actually where I got this one. No, 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 because wait wait till you hear this story. All right. Um, uh, a few years back, the house actually uh, caught fire. It was actually Mother's Day, and the house caught on fire, and it actually burned to the ground, and the heat was so intense that this flamingo out in the garden, you know, it actually got melted. Sure. And so I thought it was kind of cool that it was melted, so I took it home with me, and I, like, stuck it in my room, and all of a sudden, you know, I was getting, like, visits at night, and just all this weird stuff was happening, shadows on the wall and everything, so finally I just went and I hucked it out in the woods behind my house, and it never happened again. Oh, my God, it's back again! And it's fully formed. Matt, did I hear you uh, trying to get a hold of us there? No. Okay. Thanks, Thanks Matt. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. Thanks for listening, Matt. You're doing great work, Matt. Just let us know if any calls come in. If you have any questions uh, for Jeff Belanger, author of Weird Massachusetts, you can call in at 508-996-0500, We'll be talking about a lot of some of these weird things going on in the Bay State, and uh, we can even talk about some right here in our own backyard. Uh, now, we're actually in one of these weird spots that's in weird Massachusetts, the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast. The Lizzie Borden house. Lizzie hey. Borden took an axe and gave her mother a bunch of wax. Not 40. No, it wasn't 40. But uh, and you you mentioned the case. You don't really get into a lot of the, the paranormal side of it in the book. You're talking more about just the strange fact right. that, you know, here was this matricide and patricide here that happened right in our own backyard. I think it was uh, step matricide. Step matricide. <laughs> Which is, uh, I don't even know if that's a legal term. But, but I mean, is this, for something that to us has become, uh, especially on this show where we talk about it quite a bit, but something that's become, you know, just part of our history and part of our, our legend and lore, yeah. is it, does it seem like such a weird thing to people outside of Massachusetts that this happened? I mean, is it beyond just true crime and it actually enters into the realm of weird? Well, you know what happens? It's it's um, she's such a memorable character from from Massachusetts. You know, um, peop, th this case captivated the world. You know, I mean, it was it, she's the O.J. Simpson of the 1890s. It was, um, you know, all the circumstantial evidence points to Lizzie doing it, yet she was acquitted. You know, uh, and it's it's a case that still is talked about today. How many books have been written about this? You know, fiction, nonfiction. I know they're outside. <laughs> if if, you, if anyone comes here to the Lizzie Borden house, they have just about all of them in. Uh, I mean, I don't know, a hundred more yeah. uh, that, that must be on those shelves. Um, 
So it's and it's still today we talk about this case. We're still interested in it. And then you bring the ghostly aspect to it. You know, I, I think people people that come here and Leanne, of course, can tell you you know more about this. But there are people that come here who are big fans of the case. There are people that come here who are big fans of the ghosts. And then the ones that are both. Those are really, those are interesting characters, you know, uh, because uh, you wonder, are people trying to tune in? Did Lizzie do it? Is something here? Is something going on? I, I find the weirder ones are the ones that just come because they like to go to Victorian homes and they're like, oh, there's an axe murder here? Yeah, like right. those are the weirdest people because they don't even know what, what we're talking about. Actually, the weirdest of all are the ones that do uh, radio shows. That's true. From the dining room. Yeah. Those are the weirdest. Especially when they, yeah, a couple times. Yeah. They're, they're freaks. Tim, let's give that number out again for our listener here in the dining room sure it's uh 508-996-0500 508-291-0500 and if you are going to call from within the dining room you have to actually leave the room to avoid us uh getting any kind of you know how when they actually, tell you turn down your radio i'd like you know? to hear that <laughs> dial go dial all uh, right well and then there's there's a, a couple other sites that we'll just gloss over here in you know the south coast area of massachusetts okay uh there's witches rock in rochester which is part of this uh, conglomeration here in the Bay State of sites named after witches, sites named after the devil. Right. Uh, what the hell is wrong with us? <laughs> well, I think that's our puritanical roots here, you know, in, in New England where we've got, um, you know, everything was, uh, you know, Satan was a very big influence in early puritanical life. I mean, Salem is a classic example of that. They believed Satan himself was loose in town and, uh, and, and causing witchcraft and things like that. And so uh, it's it's really... It's a big part of uh, of everything that uh, that that defines what we are and our, our even our landscape. So, like you said, witches rock and purgatory chasm and you know devil's glen and all these other things. There's just so many of them. I mean, it's it's, it's amazing to me that all these different places uh, can exist in, in in a place that was so deeply religious that you think you know they'd crack down on these names and say you know can't call it that anymore. Right, right, right. Well, uh, but I I think. It, when when the devil's that much of an influence in your life, you almost need to keep, you know, he's good for business. Yeah, yeah you know, that's, like that's I mean, if you're if you're in the church in business, uh, you, you need to you need to bring up the adversary now and again to uh, to keep butts in seats. And and of course, uh, and Matt Moniz, Matt Costa, and myself, we we all reside in the uh, lovely seas- seaside town of Wareham, uh, uh, sometimes referred to as Brockton by the Sea. <laughs> But there's, you know, a little portion of Wareham uh, known as Onset, and that's where the thermometer man lives, a, a, a gentleman named Richard Porter who has dedicated his entire basement to the love and the collection of thermometers. Right. Uh, only here would that kind of thing happen. Yeah, isn't that great? And, but these are, the, these are our neighbors, you know, and these are the people that make where we live so interesting. Um, who cares about, uh, you know, stamp collecting? You can have thermometers. Matt, do we have a call? Is that is that noise was? Okay. Hello? Hey. 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 Yes, we do have a call on one. All right. Why don't we go to that call? Uh, good evening. You are on Spooky South Coast. How you doing? It's okay. Um, got a good connection tonight. Okay. Just wanted to call in and see, because um, all my sons love Jeff, love his book, and we're just wondering if there's anything he's got that he hasn't um, got to write about yet. What's he look forward to doing in the near future? Is there a weird Massachusetts too? In the works, <laughs> Actually, I've been getting a lot of stories since the book's only been out a few weeks, and I've been getting a lot of emails like, "Oh, I can't believe you didn't include this or that." And so, yeah, fortunately, there probably is enough for a, uh, a weird mass too. My next book is actually a children's book. I've got a book coming out in September. Called oh, that's great! Yeah, thanks. And you know, your 
your kids will love it. It's um, <laughs> it's just the kind of thing to corrupt them into ghosts at a young age. It's uh, it's called Who's Haunting the White House, and uh, we're using history as kind of an innovative way to teach. Uh, using uh, par- the paranormal as an innovative way to teach history. And uh, the fools actually let me in the White House a couple of years ago to interview some of the staff, and um, and they they talked about their ghosts. It was pretty amazing experience, and um, it's all that'll all come out in September. Now, now, how do you do that? How do you write a children's book about ghosts? And and that's kind of a nonfiction children's book about ghosts. Yeah, it's kind of a yeah. really you know, and you're a father, so you know it's kind of a. a, a Slippery slope of, of where you want to go with that. I mean, how much do you want to acknowledge? You want to be able to tell a kid there's no such thing as ghosts at 3 a.m. when they wake up crying, but right. it's okay to tell them that. When oh, no, no. I, I tell my daughter, yeah, there's ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you're screwed. You're screwed. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to go well the rest of the night. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be great. You know how to write. You're a terrific author and looking forward to it. I'll definitely get that for my son. You, you should Thank actually you. come out and meet Jeff sometime. In fact, why don't you come back in the dining room and meet me? <laughs> <laughs> and, all, and all my friends are going to get it for their children, too. I hopefully it'll be out in time for Christmas. It will. So there thank you, you very much. It'll be out this fall. I'll be pimping it. All right. Probably thank on Spooky fall. South Coast. Thank you for checking in. The all right. Thank you very me. much for taking the call. Thank right. you. See you soon. It's very soon. <laughs> all right. Well, Jeff, you know, there's there's so many different avenues of, of where you went with this. I mean, you didn't just talk about, you know, the weird people. You didn't just talk about the weird stories. I mean, there's... Bits and pieces of real America. I know. I don't know who that guy is. <laughs> Christopher Balzano. Yeah. Just trying to weasel his way well, into one of your books. Well, no, you know what it is. It's like I've got to hit a word count, and I'm like, Chris, man, can you give me a couple thousand yeah. words? It would help a lot. <laughs> and he's like, sure, sure. Yeah, I'm like, great. I get the day. I on. got something uh, kicking around. But I, I was, I was going to say, there's a lot of stories in here that aren't really so weird as much as they are. I'm not even going to try to. Say I can the say it. Out. All right, why don't you I tell really us? Get. All right, there's a, there's a lake in Webster, Massachusetts, that uh, really defines the town. There's not a lot going on there, but they have this lake. It's uh, 47 letters long. And uh, I can say it. Ready? Yep. Lake Shagagaga, Man Shagagaga, Chabungamungamog. And he got it. I did. Spell it. <laughs> Don't look at the book. IT. Don't look at the book. It's like the uh, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious yeah, of, of Indian lake names. It's the uh, it's the, it's the longest uh, named uh, bo- you know body of water in North America, and I think it's like the third longest named body Please of water in the, in the world. Well, but I was going to say a lot of this stuff is just—it's real, just Americana. Yeah. Uh, you know, for example, the the, the toll house road yeah. sign, and I actually was just on my way through. I was going down Route 18 the other day, and I saw the sign. I said, "That's the exact." I knew I knew where it was. Yeah, I know. I but I didn't know like what it was all about, and, and, and then you read it in the book, and you find the actual story out behind it. Yeah, uh, uh, the toll house—the toll house cookie originated in Whitman, Massachusetts, at a place called the Toll House, built in 1709. Uh, it, it eventually became a, a bed and breakfast, and Ruth Wakefield was a, was known for her baking. And one day, a man named Andrew Nestle stopped in and gave her some of his new product, his chocolate bar. And she was making uh, some some butter cookies and ran out of baker's chocolate, so she substituted. And she discovered that Nestle's chocolate, though it melted, it held its shape. And she tried them. Her guests tried them and loved them. And uh, her agreement was you know, she started publishing the the recipe in all kinds of newspapers in the greater Boston area and. Massachusetts, and Nestle noticed that sales of his chocolate bar were rocking around this area. And so uh, he made an agreement with her. He could publish the recipe on the back of his uh, chocolate, and she would get free chocolate for the rest of her life. And uh, he said at one point if he could go back in time and pay a million dollars for that, it would have been a steal. Because as you know today, when people want to make Toll House cookies, you just go buy those Nestle Toll House morsels because you know the Ruth's recipe will be there. 
And, and of course, that led to one of my favorite inventions, the Toll House Cookie Pie, <laughs> which is just, you know, the uh, next step above. Pie. But I think... 3.14, right, I believe? <laughs> you got it. Thank you. We are talking Matt, with Jeff Belanger. Am I right, Matt? That is correct. Okay, thank you. We're talking with Jeff Belanger, author of the new book, Weird Massachusetts. Uh, Jeff, I think part of what makes Massachusetts such a, a great, you know, conglomeration of weird... I just used conglomeration twice in one show. Mm. All right, I can't use it next week. <laughs> Fine. But, uh, it's a lot of syllables. Uh, yeah. What, what makes it... Uh, you know, such a, a great area for weird things is that we have a little bit of every kind of right. geographical area, every kind of, you know, uh, human demographic. I mean, we've got on one side of the state mountains, on the other side of the state the ocean. So you've Cape got God, these mountain yeah. stories, you've got these sea creatures, these mermaid stories. It's all happening within the confines of the Bay State. Yeah, and we've got uh, – we definitely have a – you're right. It, it's all there. And, uh, you know, Cape Cod with its its sea lore and things like that and – um you know, Gloucester with its sea serpent, which is such a cool story. What's so interesting to me, uh, if, if anyone hasn't heard about this, in the late 1800s, uh, Gloucester, uh, just hundreds and hundreds of witnesses said, said they'd see like a 300-foot-long snake in the water and coiled up on the rocks, uh, a sea serpent. And it got to the point where, you know, the papers were reporting this daily, and there was a span of three weeks where people were just putting out lawn chairs to watch it. And it was seen by everyone in town. And at one point, the Boston Globe read an editorial saying, we're not going to cover the sea serpent anymore. The fact that it exists is a foregone conclusion, uh, just like they wouldn't cover you know, an elk sighting or, or a deer sighting. It's just it's an animal. It's out there. It exists. It's been seen by hundreds of credible people, um, and it's, uh, it's become part of our history. Now, it hasn't been seen in quite a long time, and one of the theories is that uh, the area around Gloucester Harbor was just overfished. Overfished. So, th- yes. so there's no food. For the for this giant creature, it went elsewhere. Um, so and and no one ever claimed it was anything paranormal, just a giant snake. Now, what I heard about the story is that and where George were you Washington, in 1891, Matt? Uh, I I was still um, I was a bit younger then. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. He was hanging out with Mercy Brown. Happy yeah. birthday, by the way, Matt. And yes, happy birthday. Happy birthday. No, don't even start that. Day. No, but one of um, George Washington's aides was one of the George wit- Washington had AIDS? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe sorry. a few other things, too, you know. But well, it's from no. the wooden teeth. Yeah, that's how we caught it. Are we but still on, on the serious we are, Is we this live? Yeah, yeah. this will okay. be cut out of the podcast. Okay, good. One of the AIDS that he had, one of his other generals, let's put it that way. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, was a witness to this event and yeah. has it documented in his diaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, um, I mean, it was well documented. I mean, they had um they you know they had scientists and botanists and right. you know every kind of person come in and every, you know people saw it. It's uh it's in a lot of books, it's in newspaper editorials. Now, I have one other question. Were you able to get uh the story of the Mary Celeste in there? Yeah. That's right. The Mary right Celeste at the beginning of the book actually. Yeah, okay. right at the beginning. Yeah, that's um cuz I haven't had a chance to get a copy yet, so yeah, you're gonna have to borrow Tim's. <laughs> did you see the autograph that I gave to yes, Tim? Yes, I did. Uh, can we? No, we shouldn't read that on the air. No. No. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the moral of the story is part of that punch spooky stuff. The moral of the story is never ask me to autograph your book. I think <laughs> <laughs> it loses value right there. Yeah, the, the Mary Celeste is um it, it is such a great story because it's uh it's not a ghost ship as much as a ghost crew. Right. You know, um, it's it's the ship that sailed itself across the Atlantic uh, with apparently no crew, the crew that vanished, never to be seen again. Right, because they, the captain and his wife and his daughter were from Wareham. I, I started doing a little bit more research yeah. on that myself personally. I'll 
I'll talk it, to you more about it later. Yeah, and for you ultra nerds out there, there was actually a, a original Star Trek series. Um, there was a uh, there, there was a, a spaceship called the Mary Celeste that had no crew, and it was a nod to the uh, to the boatmasters. So geek check, right there. there. You Matt, Matt, you want to take you want to take that one? He mentioned Star Trek. Watch out for nerd bomb. Oh well, yeah, you want to do it? Give him a nerd <laughs> alert. I don't have the I don't have the bomb sound effect on though. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll add that in in post. <laughs> you know, but it, as weird as the stories are that come out of Massachusetts, I, I just want to say this is the most professional radio show I've been on all day. <laughs> <laughs> we, we strive for perfection here, but especially when we only get forty-five minutes after the Celtics. <laughs> These are a damn good forty-five minutes. Great, great, good, ca- great carryover audience after those twelve minutes of commercials. That's let right. me tell you. But in addition to all the weird things that we have happening and all the weird places and the weird different geographical, uh, geological formations, we have a whole crap load of weird people. Yeah, we do. And present company. Most of them in this room. Right, they're all here. But, I mean, from from a, a guy who writes an entire book without using the letter E at all in the book. It was a challenge, but I found uh, that I could get through it that way. Uh, no, it wasn't me. I'm kidding. You, you, could, you could never... Write a book without the letter. I didn't use e any vowels. How actually, could you use the word me? Book. There was there was if no you, vowels in the whole book. But uh, and then we have uh, we have uh, John Hayes Hammond who builds his own castle with all these little crazy things going on. Well, we're just touching upon things in the book, Jeff. We're, uh, a house built out of paper. Yeah, yeah, isn't that great? A, a gingerbread. I know, I'm just looking at some of these. Just the houses alone, things that people can go yeah. out and still see. Yeah, Boston's uh, in Boston on Hull Street. There's um, there's a house that's ten feet wide. Four stories tall, 30 feet long. Uh, the front door is actually on the side, so I guess you wouldn't call it a front door. It's more Wait, way to call me out on that, Matt, psychically. <laughs> <laughs> I heard you in my head. Get out of my head. <laughs> well, I mean, these are places that people can, when yeah. they buy the book and they, they read the stories, they can get in the car and go check this stuff out. We're not, we're not just talking about stories that are 150 years old. I right, mean, yeah. Stuff that's still out there today. That's and right. we really do a good job of preserving our weird here. We do. In, uh, in the town of Dedham, for example, which is right outside of uh, Boston, they've got, a, they've got a couple great oddities. One, they've got the oldest continuously running pet cemetery, which has Lizzie Borden's uh, dogs are buried there, as a matter of fact. She killed uh, them with the axe, too? <laughs> I think that might have been natural causes okay. or something else. But Dedham is home to the bad, uh, the Museum of Bad Art, and um, the, or Bad Art Museum, excuse me. And um, it, it's, it's located next to the men's room of the Dedham Community Theater downstairs. It's, it's great because, like, it, you say to yourself, like, well, I could do bad art. You know, get me some crayons. I'm on it. But... That wouldn't make it. Like, there's real. Uh, I, I spoke to the curator, and there's this real deliberate uh, motives behind what pieces make it to the collection. How many Yoko Onos are there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they have any yet. But here's a classic example. So you, so you walk down the stairs, and there was this painting of like two trees, you know, in a field. And to let you know how bad it was, it looked like something I actually could paint. That's pretty much how bad it was. And there was a, but there was a story next to the painting, and it said. Uh, the, this woman was an, an art student in an art class and painted this. And one night, someone broke into the art class and stole every single painting except this one. <laughs> and so that was, I think the story helped carry her into the, uh, the Museum of Bad Art. It was not worth stealing. Now, and Jeff, we appreciate you making the trek all the way from home to come here and join us at the Lizzie Boyd Bed and Breakfast to Thank do this you. show tonight. But uh, my question to you is how many smoots is it from here to your house? It's a buttload of smoots. <laughs> and why don't you tell everybody exactly what a smoot is? A smoot is a unit of measure that uh, those wacky guys at MIT um, 
came up with, and I think uh, one smoot is it's the length of the bridge. What's the uh, bridge there in it's, Boston? It's uh, the Harvard Bridge. The, the Harvard Bridge, across, right? Is like bridge. is like one smoot. So if that's one smoot, it must be like it's yeah. actually a smoot. And, and the guy who wrote the book, I'm telling him what he wrote here. It's five uh, five foot seven inches. It's one smoot. Five foot seven inches. So yes. yeah, because um, that's how long the the guy yeah. was. I th- let, let me just calculate really quickly. Yeah, a boatload of smoots. Yeah. <laughs> But that, I mean, that's just an give or take. That, that's something that can only happen here, where you know the, a fraternity at MIT will take a pledge and actually right. use him to measure the length of the bridge, and then the fraternity keeps up with it. They keep measuring it year after year, and and and, t- and making sure that the measurements stay freshly painted. Thank goodness for them. You know what else was invented in Massachusetts? What's that? Email, which gave really? rise to, of course, you know, spam. <laughs> eventually. Yeah. So thank you, Massachusetts, for uh, for email. Now, Matt, do we have a call coming in? Is that what that is? We do have is? another call if you're ready. Oh, we're always ready. Are you kidding? This is great. Mom? <laughs> happy Mother's Mom. Day, by the way. Good evening. Uh, no, I, I just wanted to uh, say ha- uh, happy birthday to Matt Moniz. That's about, that's about it. Uh, you don't have any questions? Come on. I know, I know you're an inquisitive birthday. kind of guy. Uh, no, no, not, not, not really. I just kind of <clears throat> I don't want to take the, the shine off of, uh, of Belanger there, so I'm just going to... Uh, Oh. Just calling to say happy birthday to uh, the 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 uh, science assassin there. You obviously haven't been watching uh, the the videos on Ghost Village. It's Belanger. That's right. Oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Mr. Sorry, I grew up with a lot of French people. So. <laughs> well, anyway, if you were gonna, uh, I don't know, caller, if you were gonna be purchasing any books this weekend, but uh, save the money you were gonna spend on Dark Woods, Cult's Crime of the Paranormal, <laughs> and the Free Cancer Force. It's spending our weird Massachusetts instead. It's like 200 pages longer, and it's got a lot of nice pictures. Color pictures. I uh, Well, you know, I, I just got a royalty check, and uh, I can't afford either of them. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, you go have a double cheeseburger and a McChicken, and uh, enjoy, <laughs> enjoy the fruits of your labor. Chris, I love you. I love you, Chris Balzano. Seriously, I'm seriously, not ashamed uh, to say I, it. You know, I just didn't want to uh, you know, take any of the shine off the man. Just didn't want to... Uh, <laughs> You know, whore myself on spooky South Coast for another week. I just uh, I was going to say, honestly, yeah. When I heard no, no, this first, week. I had to definitely say hi. Thank you, Chris. No we, we thank you for checking. I'm going to have another piece of cake for you. Actually, I'm, I'm sorry that Matt let him go because I was just going to mention the, the Bridgewater Triangle. Chris, Chris did contribute to this book, by the way. That's uh, that was Chris Balzano, ladies and gentlemen, the man, the myth, the legend. He contributed. He did contribute. You had to throw a lot of it out, but some of it made it through. <laughs> what are you going to do? Words are words, baby. But yeah, the Bridgewater Triangle, of course, had to be included in this. Um, we, we um, Chris, Chris made it. Actually, Matt was there too. We made a yeah. trek out to Hockamock Swamp, and walk the uh, walk by the old rail tracks there, and um, we didn't see anything. But it was, it, it's, it's. You can imagine what that place must be like, especially you know. We went, we we went in We're the winter. In winter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, thank. Oh my, I wouldn't go there now. You know, you'd be eaten alive. Um, but yeah, we were there in the winter, and it's just it's so dense out there. You can imagine. Uh, it, it's it one just, of the thickest groves of trees. Yeah. The, I mean, even in winter, when most plants, especially small shrubs and that are indicative to this area, lose their, their leaf, this is still extremely, extremely thick. Yeah, and it's, I mean, you know, you've got swamp land. It could be a foot thick, a foot deep. It could be 12, 12 feet deep, you know. Yeah. And we, we spoke to a guy out there who, uh, who hunts out there, and he was telling us, he's like, I won't go out there anymore. He was hunting. He's walking along in the winter. Yep. And uh, went through the ice and, you know, was up to his shoulders and barely got out alive. And, uh, you know, a dangerous place. And when, during the King Philip's War, the, the Wampanoag would, would try to draw the, the colonists in because they knew the swamp. And uh, it, it became, you know, a place where not a lot of people came out of. 
Now, you, you have a, a great deal of information here about Salem and about yeah. everything that goes on there. Uh, and that's one of those things that it's for a long time it was a black mark on our history. But now, you know, Massachusetts has come to embrace it. Salem certainly has come to embrace it. Oh, sure. Because, you know, tourists equal money. And But it seems like now we can kind of talk about it and, and kind of put ourselves and our generation and more current people away from that persecution and now just look back on it. And it's basically a very weird time in history. What's what's amazing about Salem is, you're right, they, they do embrace it. But um, in looking back through a lot of old newspapers, they've been calling themselves Witch City. For example, I found uh, a place called Witch, Witch City Fish Market back in 18, like 1890. So they've been using that title, Witch City, for over a century. And, of course, if you go there today, you see the witch riding a broom on the police cars and on the police patch, and it, it's, it's mecca for witchcraft. But the, the reason it is is so interesting to me because there are witch trials elsewhere in the world, and you know Salem was not unique mm. in that. But what happened was it, the reason that Salem today is known as, as the witch capital and, and you know almost the, uh, the occult or, or new age capital of the world is a series of events. In the 1950s, Arthur Miller, the playwright, wrote a play called The Crucible, based very yeah. much on the Salem witch trials, um, but it used it as an allegory for McCarthyism. And so what that did is it brought the whole trial back to the forefront because it was such an important work, you know, it was such an important play. Um, and then in the 1960s, uh, Milton Bradley was manufacturing the Ouija board there. And then in the 1970s, a witch named Lori Cabot moved into town and set up a witch shop. And then other witches started to come and embrace that whole witch city thing, and they turned you know these these atrocities into um, into <laughs> capital. <laughs> Even weirder than that is that Arthur Miller got to bang Marilyn Monroe. Yes, 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 that's, he that's did. pretty weird too. Yes, he did. I once got a letter from Arthur Miller. Really? Um, he I was cease living... and desist order. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the res- typical restraining order. Okay. You know. Um, Quit leaving chicken heads on my lawn and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean the hood rats, not uh, actual chicken rats. Oh, okay. But, <laughs> but no, he... Uh, Your Bedford will know all about that. That's, that's right. A- no, we, we, uh, I lived in Connecticut and was working for a newspaper and uh, basically asked to interview him. And I got a very nice letter written back from him. I was, I, it was no, <laughs> but I was, I was touched that he took the time to say no. Yeah, I mean, he, he probably said it very eloquently. He did. Quite now, uh, you have probably one of the most dead-on... Out of any book that I've ever read on Massachusetts history, you have a dead-on take on Plymouth Rock. Yeah, Plymouth Rock, the first time I went there, I'm a little bit ashamed to say, was working on this book. Um, I had never gone before. And I, got, I went there with uh, my friend Derek Bartlett from Capers. Mm-hmm. And uh, y- you go to Plymouth Rock, and it's got this big you know, structure around it with the columns and everything. It looks like Washington, D.C. kind of. And then, um, you know, you look down onto the beach. And, and as I'm standing there, I hear, uh, you know, I, I'm just looking at it, and I hear a group of four people walk up. And I hear the first person go, that's it? And the other person went, that's it? And the first person said, huh. And they moved along. And then another group came up, and I swear to God, they went, I heard the same thing. That's it? That's it? Huh. <laughs> That's, it's it's easily the most underwhelming national landmark on earth. I, I lived in Plymouth for a number of years when I was younger, and uh, the elementary school I went to was uh, a stone's throw, not a Plymouth Rock throw, but a <laughs> right. stone's throw from there. And they used to walk us down there every year to show it to us. And it's like, okay, it's still sixteen twenty. It's still there. It's still just a rock sitting in a you know yeah. a marble housing. But even more interesting than that, you know, 
40 miles away is Dighton Rock, which is way more interesting. Way more but interesting. But way less known. Yeah, I passed it on the way down here, actually. Dighton Rock is um, it's, it's further evidence of European visitations long before Columbus. And uh, it's basically ancient graffiti. And it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating because one gentleman did a lot of research and believes that it's um, uh, Portuguese. It, it, was a, it was a Portuguese, uh, Portugal ship that came and, and left a message, basically, looking for his brother. And I got to go to Dighton Rock, and the guy let me actually in. It's, it's, it's in a museum now that's just above the water, and he let me go behind the glass and see it. And he's like, you know, okay, if you go out in the museum, they've, they've outlined in white what he believes to be the symbols to be like early Portuguese writing. And the, and the, uh, the gentleman who took me in said, you've got two good eyes just like me. You've seen what, what they drew in white. Look at the rock. And you're staring at it going, yeah, it could be anything. Now, granted, it's very old, clearly, you know, some of that. And it was submerged for a number of years. Right. And so you have the brackish water coming up and going down all day long, and that's going to wear anything down. Um, but, you know, it, it, clearly there's something there. Um, that, and then there's also, um, you the know. The Norse uh, runes on it are definitely visible. Well, there's the rune stone on No Man's Land, uh, the island. Um, right. That's a different rock. But that's that's like Norse. Those are much clearer. Those are Norse ruins, and those go back. God, who we don't know how long. But I think it's pretty much a foregone conclusion these days that Vikings were here before Columbus, and and maybe others. You know, maybe a, a lot Phoenicians. of Phoenicians. Well, right? Yeah. I mean, we I, don't we don't know. There's there certainly is evidence, uh, and when we had David Goudsward on talking yeah. about some of these ancient stone sites, I mean. There, there certainly does seem to be a pattern of visitation, too, not just a random, whoops, you know, I just fell in this place here, but it seems to have been a destination point, a back-and-forth point for them. Right, right. Now, uh, and you mentioned No Man's Land. Why don't you fill in that in? Because I didn't even know about it, and I've lived down this neck of the woods for a long time. Right. No Man's Land is an island that uh, it, it was. It became a military installation. They were practicing bombing runs on it, so not a good place to be. But um, that there's a... a a stone. It's actually in the water. You can only see it when tide when the tide is completely down, um, and you have to know where it is. And actually, I spoke to the gentleman who found it. Um, it was the the New England Antiquities Research Group went out there, and um, it's it's old rune carvings that they believe go back many centuries. And uh, unfortunately, no one's got the money together to get the rock out of there so it can be studied. Um, you know, it's it's a pretty good sized boulder. Maybe you know. Figure the size of like your average dining room table, so it's not incredibly huge, but you still need a helicopter to come in and and, and get it out of there. Well, it's it's funny because you're saying no man's land to those who are listening. You know, it sounds like you're saying no man's land, but no it's, actually, it's actually it's actually N O M A N. Which is is that where we got the idea of no man's land from? Is that yeah? I, I don't know if that's where we we trace it from, but uh, it was actually I think the island was named after a Native American. If you could read what I wrote, that uh, I'm going to try and look much. right here. I need the Tim notes on this one. <laughs> well, it's in the book, so go out and buy it, and you can read all about it. But, I mean, the Native Americans in this area definitely helped, you know, attribute a lot of this weird stuff to, oh to their religion. I mean, it's weird to us, but it was commonplace to them, a lot, a lot of the things that they believe. I, I'm sorry Chris hung up, but, you know, the Wampanoag with their puck wedgies and, and their creation lore and, and uh, Granny Squanet out, you know, Granny Squanet out in, on the Cape. You know, that's a great story. Granny Squanet was kind of like the boogeyman for the Wampanoag children. That, that's, that's how you, uh, you bullied your kids into behaving. If you don't do what you're told, if you don't eat your supper, if you don't clean up, Granny Squanet's going to come for you. And, 
and it's neat because we always we always need those figures in our lives. We need the boogeyman. We need we need these these monsters. Um, keeps, even, you, keeps you in check. Even today, we need them. You know, um, the, that uh, that element of fear that's such an important part of our lives, and that element of magic and uh, things we don't understand and, and can't control. And and sometimes, you know, I mean, if you think about, it, especially kids growing up, the, the, the things they go through, naming it gives us some control. And we see that with hauntings all the time, right? I, I, I call it the most fa- most famous phenomena where, you know, you go to a, a historic place and there's something paranormal that seems to be happening. And uh, we attribute it to the most famous person that ever lived there. So, you, so like you're in this house and something happens and let's say, oh, it, it, must, have, it must be Lizzie Borden. Mm-hmm. You know, even though the house has been around for, what, 170 years thereabouts and the Bordens lived here for 20 something 22 yeah. years something like that so you know we attribute it immediately to lizzie and i think we do that because we need to feel in control of a situation that's not controllable and naming it just helps us at least you know put wrap our hands around it in some way but what's interesting is andrew and abby borden weren't the only people that died in this house or on this property. right sure so four or since not even the only bordens right that's right. Yeah, the uh, the the, tr- the children that were drowned by their mother, Andrew's uh, cousins, who would be Andrew's yeah. Andrew's uncle, uh, and his wife, Andrew's uncle's Andrew's aunt. <laughs> Getting this way more complicated than it has to be. Andrew's aunt, uh, decades prior to them moving in, drowned her children and then took her own life uh, right on the property. And and before that, even there's rumors of somebody being shot in the basement, a, a criminal being chased by the police into the basement that was and shot. After. I thought it was before when it was a boarding house. It was a boarding house after them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, I mean, either way, there's, there's, yeah, yeah. other than the, you know, the, not to upset anybody in the house, but the caretaker who passed away in a fire and yeah. is believed to, to be coming back here. So, I mean, there's, these right. places can, you know, they can have energy there. They can have these things happening. And like you said, you just give it some sort of, it's the same thing with past lives. You know, if you feel like you've had a past life, you, you weren't just somebody that lived in Egypt. You were Cleopatra. Right, you know, right, you weren't. Right. You know, you weren't just somebody who lived in. Yeah, you know, I was the stable boy. <laughs> yeah, you weren't in the Revolutionary War. You were George Washington. Yeah, you got to yeah. be someone good. Yeah. yeah, you never meet someone who was like you know. I was Genghis Khan. <laughs> <laughs> there's and there's always like fifty people in one room that were all George yeah. Washington. That's right. Yeah, so. that's right. Now, uh, with all the like you said, with all these stories that have been coming in, there's definitely the potential for more. I, I have a clock now. <laughs> uh, there's definitely the potential for more uh, more stories coming in. Is, yeah. is there going to be a website associated with the book? I know through Ghost Village you've been you've been putting it up, but I know there's other like weird US sites where people can keep contributing stories. Yeah, there's weirdus.com is the whole is the website for the whole series. So if you've got a weird story from anywhere, um, you know you can you can go there to send it in because um, lots of other states have got a weird book now. I know there's weird Pennsylvania, weird Texas, weird Florida. There's many in the series, and uh, weird England just came out. So they're doing foreign countries. Um, it's a fun series. It really is. It's it's a way to uh, look at where you live in a, under a different light. And now I know you've got a couple upcoming speaking engagements, uh, both at the end of this month. The last Friday of this month, you'll be at the Cape Cod Community College. Right. And uh, that'll be fun. That's with the, the Capers group. So we'll be doing a, a lecture out there. And that's free of charge. You can check that out at capers.com, C-A-I-P-R-S.com. Right. And then after that, in June, you'll be giving a presentation at Open Doors. That's right. That's in Braintree. And that'll be a lot of fun. There'll be a, there'll be a book signing. There'll be a whole multimedia lecture. The whole dog and pony show will bring them all out. 
and it's uh, Open Doors and then the number 7.com, opendoors7.com, if you want to check out more about that. And of course, if anybody wants to know about any of these things, they can just go to ghostvillage.com and right. jeffbelanger.com. Yep, ghostvillage.com will get you there, and we can. Uh, it's a place to, to talk about the paranormal, talk about your, your ghost experiences, and uh, have an open discussion. And of course, you have your paranormal journeys uh, is up there as well, especially the latest one, which <laughs> right. is it took three parts, <laughs> but it's just uh, it's like the three faces of Mick Foley for wrestling fans out there. We got the three fa- two faces of Jeff Belanger. Right. Yeah. What was that, Matt? Breaker one nine. Breaker one nine. Matt, you say something? Hello. Hi. Hi. We got about one minute left. I'm going to end the show right now. All right. <laughs> All right, next week, we don't know what time we're going to be on next week because it's all dependent on the sports schedule. Uh, hopefully, if the Celtics uh, can win this quick, we'll get the next schedule out. Uh, but if it's going to be a dragged-out series, I know there is not a game scheduled for next Saturday. However, the Red Sox do play. So just stay attention to spooky self- pay attention to SpookySouthCoast.com, and we'll keep you up to date. So uh, until then, for Matt Costa, for Matt Moniz, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular. For your free Massachusetts vacation kit, call 1-800-624-MASS. I feel, I feel so very weak. <laughs> Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, tomorrow. supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen.